Hello and welcome to the JCBC Podcast. My name is Sean and I'm so grateful that you found our podcast. Listen, the JCBC Podcast is a collection of several sermons that have been preached over the years at Johns Creek Baptist Church. I pray that as you find these sermons and you listen to them, they would meet you where you are in your journey. And I trust that God will do something in these words to lift up your head, if only for a little while. So go ahead and subscribe to us and follow along. Please join me in turning to, your, uh, to the 15th chapter of Genesis in your Bibles. If you'll open up to Genesis 15, our scripture will come from Genesis 15 today, and we're going to get there in just a bit. So today, this sermon, will uh, uh, we're going to be navigating the text as we move along. So if you'll make your way to Genesis 15, you'll be in good shape. You know that today is the second of an ongoing series, a second part of a series called Patriarchs and Matriarchs. And every week, you've got homework, right? I've mentioned to you that every week you are to read the next two chapters in Genesis. Uh, Last week we covered 12 and 13. This week we covered 14 and 15. Next week, 16 and 17. That means each night of this week, read the same two chapters, 16 and 17 Tomorrow night, 16 and 17, Tuesday, etc. So that as you immerse yourself in the holy text, then somewhere in those two chapters, a sermon will rise up next Sunday, and you'll be familiar with the text uh, and probably can add far more insight to it than I, but I will add my two cents as you are in the middle of studying the sacred word. So today we'll get, we're going to get to Genesis 15, but if you're catching up with us, and today you're, you're joining us for the first time, You need to know where we've been. So we're studying the patriarchs and the matriarchs of the faith because they teach us how to walk the way of faith. We're looking at the stories of the heroes and the heroines of ancient scriptures because they were heroes and heroines not by any contemporary standard. They didn't do amazing things. They weren't strong and perfect. They, they didn't leap tall buildings with a single bound, like I said last week. But rather, they were imperfect. They kept falling on their faces. They tripped. They were vulnerable, and they were weak at times. And yet, in the midst of their vulnerability, right in the middle of their humanness, they found a way to walk with God that made it all worth it, that made it all matter in the end. So we listen to our ancient mothers and fathers in the faith talk to us from their experiences. And what we said last week was this whole thing starts with barrenness. We're studying Abram and Sarai, who later will be called Abraham and Sarah. But Abram and Sarai start their story, or at least we're told they start their story unable to have children. They were barren, and we reflected last week that all the best stories of faith then and now begin with barrenness, begin in a season in which you can't produce, a season in which you want to produce, you want to create, but you can't. You can't seem to produce the answer that your family needs. You can't seem to produce the solution to the problem you're going through. You can't fix the thing that has been broken. You can't produce. You're you're barren, yet in the midst of barrenness of any kind, mental barrenness, emotional, spiritual barrenness, God has a way of showing up and showing off. (laughs) 
And we saw in the life of Abram and Sarah last week that God speaks into the barrenness of their life, which is beautiful, really. That's what God always does. When there's a void, God speaks into it. Just like the void at the dawn of creation when God spoke into the blackness, the darkness of the cosmos and created all that is. In the same way, God desires to speak into the void that we experience. And into the void, the barrenness of Abram, he said, look, you want your way out of barrenness? Here's how it works. Go to a land that I will call your own. Go to a land that I will show you. And he made a promise to Abram. You go, start this pilgrimage. We reflected last week that when you're in a season of barrenness, the only way out of barrenness is pilgrimage. Further and further into the unknown. Not to remain where it's predictable, where it's comfortable, where it's stable, but rather counter to our intuition, the way out of barrenness is to go further into the unknown so that our reliance is upon something beyond ourselves. So he calls Abram out of barrenness onto a pilgrimage and says, I will give you land and I will give you more children than you could possibly count and I will give you a name that will be remembered forever. And so he went. And last week we studied his story. But for us to get to chapter 15, we have to know there are some things that happened between last week and this week in our text that we have to somewhat cover. We have to cover that base a little bit. Did you know that at the end of chapter 12, there's a really weird story? A weird story. There's a drought that comes, a famine that comes, and Abram and Sarai, they have to take all the people and go to Egypt for a little while where there's resources, where there's fertility, where there's food. And on their way into Egypt, Abram gets nervous. This guy who just agreed to a pilgrimage of faith to go and trust God wherever God takes him, he gets nervous, and on the way into Egypt, he has this weird conversation with his wife and says, Sarah, Sarai, she says, yeah, baby. <laughs> and <laughs> it's a paraphrase. You know. And he says, you know, you're really beautiful. And she's like, ah, come on. And she says, he's, no, no, I'm serious. I mean, like, you're really, you're really beautiful. <laughs> and the problem with that is when we get into Egypt, Everybody's going to know that you're beautiful, and they're going to look at you, and they're going to look at me, and they're going to be like, what, what's she doing with him? And then they're going to kill me, and they're going to take you. So in order for us to live and survive, in order for us to make it in this strange place where we call pilgrimage, where we don't know where, here's what you need to do. Just tell them that you're my sister. And she's like, we ain't from Alabama. Would you, why are you? And she said, she said, yeah, I was just kidding. No, no, I didn't. What? No, no, that's not, that's not in here. That's, that's not. <laughs> tell, tell him that you're my sister and it'll be well with us. And so here's what happened. They go in. He says, this is my sister. So Pharaoh takes her into his home. And, and then Pharaoh has all these plagues that unfold. And Pharaoh's like, what's, what's going on? What's the deal? And God reveals the truth. And the lesson learned by Abram, right, is this. No, 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 no. When you say yes to following where I go, that means you no longer have to create your own way. You were afraid that you would not be protected, so you came up with this wild, this crazy idea that somehow it would preserve your life. And, 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 and I get it, you're new at this, but you don't have to do that when you follow me. And so the very first act 
of faith, follow this. The very first act of faithfulness was failure. Failure. Yeah. And that's pretty good because that's usually our first act as well. But then that's followed by chapter 13. You know what happens in chapter 13? Lot, the nephew of Abram and all of his people, they're growing and years are passing by and this time is moving on and their herds are growing so much so that they can't occupy the same space. So in chapter 13, Lot and Abram say, let's part ways peaceably and just go our own direction. And that's what happens in 13. In chapter 14, here's what happens. Wherever Lot went, there was, there was war and he was taken as a prisoner of war. Word got back to Abram that his nephew was taken as a prisoner of war, so Abram sent a group of his own men to rescue Lot, and he did a great job. It was a fantastic mission. He rescued him. He set a lot of people free. And the king of the area, uh, the priest Melchizedek, was so impressed by Abram. This is chapter 14. So impressed that, that Abram came, and Abram gave a tenth of everything he had to the priest and said, I, you know, I honor you by, by, by serving you. And and, and King Melchizedek wanted to make Abram wealthy. He said, you've done so well. Here, take these people and take this land or this, these possessions and take these riches and take these animals. Take them with you because you've certainly deserved it. And Abram says, no, 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 no. That's not how this is going to go down. In fact, if I were to take all the stuff that you're promising to give me, Melchizedek, then it may be said of me that I was made successful because of you, but my way will be made successful only by the Lord my God. See what's happening? Even in those two chapters, those three chapters in the life of Abram, there's an evolution underway. He starts out by saying, yes, I'll go on this pilgrimage of faith. Woohoo! Get in the wagon, honey, let's go. And then the first act is failure, but the second act is learning his lesson from failure. Can we have the faith to learn from our failures. Because by the time we reach chapter 14, he learns that his dependency must be only entrusting in the goodness of God. So by the time we get to chapter 15, that trust is going to be tested once more. This is the rhythm of faith. Trust in God that is perpetually put to the test. So in chapter 15... Many years have now passed in his life and in Sarah's life, and guess what? They still have no heirs. They have no children. And now he's frustrated because I've set out and I've, I've cashed all my chips in on this, and we have said yes to this pilgrimage. We've given up everything to follow, and still there's nothing to show for it. And so he makes a protest to God about it. And this is where we pick up the Scripture. We pick up the Scripture in chapter 15, verse 1. After these things... The word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir to my house, the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. And Abraham said, You've given me no offspring, and so a slave, a slave born in my house is to be my heir? He makes protest because it's been a long time. My question for you, I, is how much time is reasonable for God to prove God's promise? And I'm not asking Abraham, I'm asking you. 
How much time is reasonable for God to prove God's promise? Because it was hard enough for Abram and Sarah because they got many years and no kids. They're doing everything they can to be faithful and still no evidence that this thing's going to work out. But what about for you and for me? Because you and I must have it even harder than they did because we live in a culture of instant gratification, don't we? I mean, we don't have to wait for anything. We don't have to wait for anything. You know, I did all my Christmas shopping about a week before Christmas. You know why? Because Amazon Prime was offering 30 days free, and you get two-day delivery, right? You get everything delivered in two days, maybe even one day, depending on where you are. You don't have to wait for a thing these days. You know, if I wanted to listen to any kind of song right now, any song at all, I could. I could call up Spotify and play it, listen to it, enjoy it. But do you realize what it used to take to create a mixtape? <laughs> Are there any Gen Xers in the room who understand what I'm talking about? Do you remember making a mixtape? Now, guys, I know, students, you know what mixtapes are. I know, you know, mashups, whatever. I know you know it, but you don't know. I love you, but man, you don't know. Here's what I had to take to make a mixtape. You had to put the cassette in the tape recorder. You had to push play and record and pause at the same time. Call the radio station on a phone that was attached to a wall and say, I'd like to hear this song because I'm, I'm making this tape for, for my, my honey. And, and then you wait and you listen and you wait. and Maybe this is the one and, and they play the song. And you, you push unpause, and you capture the song. And after several days of developing this mixtape, then you take the inside cover and you write what each song is, little smiley faces and hearts or whatever it is that you do, right? And then you take it to her, and you give it to her at the homecoming dance. And she dances with Jerry Bearden. Too much. <laughs> but now, you don't, you don't have to wait for a thing. You don't have to wait for a thing. If you want to watch an entire season of a TV show on Netflix, you can do so without commercials and without even waiting for next week. Right? But what this is doing to us, on the one hand, it's really super great. It's fantastic. You don't have to wait. You get the, and that's the point of developing, Right? But what it's also doing is it's shaping us to be unable to wait for the things that really matter. And I'm not talking about coffee. Yeah, we don't have to wait for coffee anymore. You got Keurig, you stick it in, and that's great. I'm talking about relationships. I'm talking about faith which takes time. And the question that I'm asking Abram and the question I'm asking Sarai is how much time is reasonable for God to prove God's promise because that's a long time to wait. How long have you been waiting? Well, God responds as the text continues in the next verse, but the word of the Lord came to him, this man shall not be your heir. No, no one but, the, but your very own issue shall be your heir. He brought him outside and said, Look toward the heaven and count the stars if you're able to count them. Then he said to him, So shall your descendants be. And he, that's Abram, believed the Lord, and the Lord reckoned it unto him as righteousness. 
He believed the Lord, and the Lord reckoned it as righteousness. And that phrase right there is the hinge, beloved. The hinge on which the door of faith has been swinging throughout the ages. He believed in something he couldn't see. He believed in something that had not yet come to pass. And for ages, billions of people who would live inside the faith would point to Abraham as the prime example about how to do this journey of faith, this walk of faith. Even Paul, in that great letter to the Romans in chapter 4, Paul is talking in chapter 4 about a very important matter. And this, he's eloquently describing what it looks like to be approved by God. We all want to be approved by God, right? That's why we work so hard. And yet Paul, in the fourth chapter, says, it's not about your work. In the fourth chapter, he said, it's not about your achievements. It's not about your prowess. It's not about your strength. It's not about your mastery over the law or over any religious system that you can show off about. No, it is about faith. And he points, as an example, back to his patriarch of the faith, Abram, and says, it's like Abram who believed, and the Lord counted that as righteous. Are you able to believe in something you can't see? This is why Abram makes it into the hall of fame of faith in Hebrews chapter 11 when it's listing all of those mothers and fathers who demonstrated how to do it. And at the very beginning of Hebrews 11, Hebrews 11 verse 1, we get that extraordinary definition of what faith is all about. It cannot be said any better than Hebrews 11.1. 1. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. Or I love what King James says. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Abram said yes to a life of faith because he trusted in the, in the goodness and the grace and the mercy of God even when all evidence was to the contrary. He had nothing to show for it. And the text continues. Then God said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to inherit it. And Abram said, Lord God, how shall I know that I will inherit it? Hmm. Isn't that the question we ask throughout our journey of faith? I mean, everybody in this room at some level, either already or sometime in the near future, will come to a place where you say, okay, I'll give this a shot. Okay, Lord, I am willing to come out of barrenness. I'm willing to, to, to follow you on this pilgrimage of faith, to go where you say go, to trust in things that I cannot really see. I'm willing, but you got to give me something. You have to show me something. How shall I know? How shall I know? Every arrangement you and I get into, every contract, every agreement, that we get into, we want to make sure that the other person holds up their end of the bargain, don't we? We know we can. We want to make sure they can. Not long ago, well, it's been a while now, we sold a car on Craigslist. I put the, the car on Craigslist one night 
at about 9 o'clock. By 9.30, I got a phone call. And it really wasn't that great a car. <laughs> it was 9.30. They got, and this guy with a thick New York accent. I really like your car. I'd like to buy your car. I said, oh, okay. Can I come get it now? I said, well, it's kind of late now. I just posted it like 30 minutes ago. You're really quick, but let's meet tomorrow. We can meet. I can show you. Are you willing to come down on the price? Well, it's negotiable, but not yet. You're my very first call. We, there's a certain pace to this, right? So, so let's meet tomorrow. We met at, at Target. We met in the parking lot at, at Target. And I kid you not, this guy got out with a buddy of his or maybe um, he's conciliary. <laughs> And leather jacket, gold chain, I'm not kidding. I think, I can't be sure, but there, there may have been brass knuckles at some point in the thing. And, we, and so we meet, and, and in the conversation, would you willing, willing to come down a little bit? And, and he offered a very low price. I said, not that much just yet, because you're my very first person. I want to give some others a chance to look and, and try to get as much as I can out of my car. This is how a deal works, right? Uh, I'm negotiable, but not that far. Goodness. And he learned that I was a... A pastor, right? Which was a mistake. <laughs> I don't recommend that. Don't recommend that. And he said, ah, Reverend, you're busting my chops, Reverend. You're busting my chops. So he said, come on down. And so we, we eventually came to a place, and we agreed. I said, okay, that worked for me. He gave me the cash. I pulled out the title, put it on the hood of the car, the car. And I signed my name under the seller, and he took the pen. He said, yeah, just sign right here and sign right here, and he starts marking on my title. I said, whoa, 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 hang on, hang on. Yeah, we, we don't mark on the title. There's a certain, I'm going to sign the seller, and then you're going to sign under the buyer. And he said, no, I'm, I'm going to leave that open. I'm not going to fill that in. I, I said, oh? He said, yeah, I'm not sure. I may put that in my dad's name. I may give that to somebody else. I said, no, that's not how this is going to go down. I, you, know, you know, I signed my place. You signed your place. I need to make sure I know who I'm selling it to so that this is all clean and up, 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 you know, up, upright. And, and he got, you know, he, he went all New York on me. <laughs> I said, you know what? You know what? I, I don't think this is going to be a good idea. Here, take, take your cash back. And, and I took the, the title back. And I said, I, I just think this is probably not going to be, be a good idea. And he called me everything but a Baptist preacher. Let me just put it that way. <laughs> Yeah, he did. But when you are entering a deal, you want to know that the other person is legit. You want to make sure that the other person is going to live up to their end of the deal. It was the same thing in the day of Abram. And in the day of Abram, that contractual agreement was known as a covenant. That's the word we use for it, a covenant. These were binding agreements that both parties would live into. And typically, here's how a covenant would work. At the time of Abram, there's this interesting tradition. If I want to go in business contract with you, then here's what I do. We gather some animals together. We gather a, a cow, a ram, a goat, a turtle dove, a pigeon, and we cut them in half. And we put one half of the animal here, the other half over here. And one half of that animal there, and one half here. And all the animals are they're sawn in two. And then they, we create a space between the two halves of all the animals, just a pathway through which to walk, a kind of aisle through which to walk. And then I stand on this side of the bloody mess of entrails and, and carcasses, 
And I say to the person, here's my end of the deal. This is what I promise to do. And the other guy says, yeah, here's my end of the deal. This is what I promise to do. And we have both now entered into the contract. We together walk through the middle of the entrails. We walk through the two divided sides of all the animals. And when we get to the other side, we turn, and it's as if we have said this. May the same thing happen to me that has happened to these animals if I break my end of the bargain. And that is where you and I get our phrase to cut a deal. So when we come to this place in chapter 15, where Abram is nervous, he's like, I've been on this thing for a long time. You've not given me anything as any demonstration that you're going to be proving faithful to me. Just give me something. Show me something. And we hear these words spoken. He said to him, bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. He brought him all these and cut them in two, laying each half over against the other. But he didn't cut the, two, or the birds in two. And when the birds of prey came down to the carcasses, Abram drove them away. Do you realize how beautiful this moment was? When God said, bring me the animals, nobody had to explain to Abram what God was up to. Nobody even had to say to Abram, now cut him in two. Abram knew what this was all about. He knew what a covenant was all about. So he cut them in two and said, okay, so we're going to do this. We're really going to do that. He cut them in two, and then he waits. He waits because the ritual's not over. I cut them in two. Here's the big mess, and he waits. Have you ever done your side of the deal and then had to wait? Have you ever done everything that you knew you were supposed to do at work or in the family or with the neighbor or with the colleague or whatever, and you knew you did everything right, and then you were waiting, waiting, waiting until the birds of prey come? He waited so long that the buzzards flying overhead smelled the carcass. They began to gather, and he had to keep shooing them away, waiting. And the text says something haunting at that point, something miserable at that point. The text goes on to say, now, when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram, and behold, horror and great darkness fell upon him. Horror and great darkness. The reason I appreciate that part of the Bible so much is because every time we read about the sun going down and darkness falling upon us, it's an attempt to describe the very thing that you know exactly what it's up to. You know exactly what that darkness is all about. It's that same horror that you feel when you wake up at 2 o'clock in the morning and you can't go back to sleep and you're staring at the ceiling and you're becoming fully aware of your own mortality. And you hear nothing but silence. You become aware of your own respirations. You could even feel your own heart beating inside and you wonder how many more I have. Will I wake in the morning? And if I do wake in the morning, will it be worth it? And Abram goes to bed that way but then in the middle of the night which is usually where all God's best things happen in the middle of the night we read these words and it came to pass now 
before we move on past there, I know you've heard it before. I heard it when I was a kid. I, I just, I got to repeat it to you. There is no better verse in all the world, right, in all the Bible than that first phrase. And it came to pass. Because you know the thing that has come, the stress, the angst, the anger, the trouble, the suffering. But the beauty of this phrase is that it came to pass. And it will. It came to pass when the sun went down and it was dark that behold there appeared a smoking oven and a burning torch these are symbols of the presence of god they're kind of archetypal symbols of what later will be known as the cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night they symbolize god's holy presence then appeared a smoking oven and a burning torch and what did it do it passed between those pieces on that same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your descendants I have given this land. From the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Raphaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites, the Adasites, the Dynamites, and the, okay, etc., etc. It is all going to be yours, and my seal is this, says the Lord. Through the symbol of that ancient ritual, says the Lord, my seal is this. I have walked through these divided carcasses to make a statement to you and all humanity. I would rather my fate be the fate of these animals than to go back on my word with you. That's how you can count on me. May the very same thing happen to me that has happened to these animals if I fail in holding up my end of the bargain. And God, in that moment, enters into a covenant that is unlike any other covenant ever known before Abram. It is a one-sided covenant. Nowhere in the text is Abram commanded to walk through the carcasses like normal. Only God walks through them to demonstrate there's nothing you can do, Abram, that's going to keep me from holding up my end of the deal. Even when you fail me, even when you abandon me, even when your understanding of covenant changes over the, I will not change in my devotion to care for and love you and provide for you. This is the moment of truth, really, for you and me. Because it's that kind of covenant that God desires to enter into with you. To love you <laughs> relentlessly. And in Jesus Christ, was slain to demonstrate that there is nothing that can keep his love from you. Nothing you can do, nothing you can avoid doing. God loves you and there's not a thing you can do about it. And the question for the day is this, will you enter into that kind of covenant with God? A covenant of grace. Because entering into a covenant of grace is very different than entering into any arrangement or covenant that you and I are familiar with. Because usually you and I are more comfortable with making sure we all understand our terms. You do this, I'll do that. You hold up that end, I'll hold up the other. We're so concerned with works and what we can prove and what we can demonstrate with our own capacity that we fail to understand that the very nature of grace is this. God loves you not because of your prowess, not because of your achievement, but because he loves you and is devoted to pouring God's love upon you, the question is, will you receive it? Will you receive it and be transformed by it? This is why Ephesians puts it so beautifully. In Ephesians we read, for by grace 
You have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not the result of works, so that no one may boast. Will you enter into a covenant of grace? Parker Palmer talks about grace this way. He says, grace is the constant availability of abundance with the question always being, am I open to it or not? And that's not such a bad place to end today. With a question hanging out before all of us, are you open to it or not? Just know this. There's nothing that you can do to deserve or earn it. It's there. It's not going away. But when you yield to it, it does change you. It changes the way you think of God. It changes the way you see your life. It even changes the way you see the lives of others around you, those you love and those you hate. (laughs) Will you receive the grace of God this day? Let's pray together. Good and loving God, we yield in this moment of worship, confessing to you that you probably are much greater than we give you credit. Your love probably is much deeper than we have ever been able to swim and navigate or plunge the depths of. We recognize because of the testimony of ancient Abram, Lord, that you are calling us to simply be loved and be changed by that love. Today, we pray that you would move in the heart of somebody, that they may receive the grace of God and be changed forever. We welcome you now, Lord, to work in us and to work among us. In Christ's name, amen.